bass guitar can't hold a tune no more Body is so badly cracked be impossible to restore The bridge is warped The frets are dull The tuning pegs don't work at all Doesn't play the way it did before and This guitar can't hold a tune no more This guitar can't hold a tune no more It's looking old and battered Just like this troubadour Neck is bent, the saddle's worn It's full of dents, the strap is torn Been with me every city on this tour But this guitar can't hold a tune no more It drew me to these city lights Showered me with sweet delights Spent lonely nights stretched out on the floor Playing till my fingers were sore This guitar can't hold a tune no more This guitar can't hold a tune no more All the frets are buzzing now Too loudly to ignore Strings keep slipping out of tune It's gonna fall to pieces soon Might be good for just one last encore But this guitar can't hold a tune And welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard. That was this guitar from Dean Friedman's latest album. I've got the great pleasure to welcome Dean today to talk about a range of songs from his songwriting career. Welcome, Dean. Hey, Jason. How you doing there? Very good. I'm going to turn you up. We opened with this guitar. It's kind of a, a song to me from, from your latest album, 12 Songs, that had a a slight tenuous connection to the song fest that you're doing with fellow songwriters on the 30th of August. Um, was that a song kind of connected to the songwriting process or? Well, uh, it, it was that, but also literally about my guitar that I bought uh, with my first student loan from city college. I was living in the Bronx and it was a, a Martin D 35 uh, acoustic guitar, dreadnought uh, shaped Uh, acoustic guitar beautiful guitar i can still remember the smell of it opening up the 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 fiberglass case and smelling the you know the fresh wood combined with the fiberglass uh, of that beautiful guitar and uh it the money was meant to pay for books but i thought the guitar was a reasonable investment and it turned out to be and it served me well for many years but after Four decades on the road, it finally uh, it needed uh, to retire. I got a little too banged up and, and fragile to tour that way. And uh, so I replaced it uh, with a, a beautiful freshman guitar. They're made up in Scotland. But I, I always miss that Martin D35. It's hanging on the wall in another room. And uh, so this guitar was written about that guitar, but I... I Suppose you could also see it as a metaphor for any older musician who's been banged up himself uh, on the road uh, with scratches and dents and uh, bruises. It it tells both of those stories. Yeah, I guess like um, many of the great songs, it can work on a a few different levels. Uh, Just in regard to Songfest, um, your sort of virtual music festival, so that's... uh, 
by Zoom, which is is how we're recording this, and and uh, it, it's yourself and and some fellow songwriters. Indeed, and uh, one of the the fun things about uh, touring is getting to meet your peers and and musicians all, all over the world who who are doing brilliant work, and so I. I in some ways get bored always constantly promoting my own gigs and my own tours. So I thought, wouldn't it be fun to invite a bunch of friends I've made on the road and musicians I really admire to come together to make a very small kind of a micro music festival because I was still doing it with limited resources, but uh, everyone was up for the idea and uh, we held the first one two years ago and it was really great. A small, intimate uh, gathering, uh, and uh, we did another one uh, le- last year, which was also really wonderful. And you know, f- folks like uh, Boothby Graffo, brilliant singer-songwriter, Fiona Bevan, uh, Cal Lavelle, Tracy Curtis, uh, folks uh, that uh, Char- Charlotte Campbell. It's a slew of terrific singer-songwriters that uh, I-, I was proud to share a stage with. And uh, we were meant to do it again uh, this July, but uh, for obvious reasons, that did not come about. Mm. Uh, but uh, uh, it's rescheduled for next year, the the physical on-site song fest. But I decided that uh, it would be fun to just do it a, a virtual song fest. And, and so, as you mentioned, it's Sunday, the 30th of August. It's uh, just a little over a week for, from now. And uh, it's going to be myself uh, and, uh, as I said, Boothby Graffo, Tracy Curtis. Th- this uh, song fest, we're going to have Attila the Stockbroker, brilliant punk poet and songwriter. Uh, he's going to join us. Charlotte Campbell, mm. uh, Vance Gilbert, uh, Katie Rose Bennett, and uh, uh, a, a really wonderful, unique individual songwriters with, with an original voice. And uh, a kind of masters at the craft of songwriting. And joining us is going to be the Scottish Falsetto Sock Puppet Theater, wow. who have uh, ha- helped me out as uh, our f- favorite guests uh, on my weekly Dean Zine live stream. Anyway, we all have a lot of fun. And it's, uh, it's going to be an afternoon and evening of really good songs. That's the concept for Songfest is that it celebrates really good songs and the folks who write them. And uh, that's what we're determined to do. And folks can find that information on my website at deanfriedman.com, right in the gig section. Brilliant. And I guess it'd be good to kind of cover some of your other material now and kind of start in the more early days and then build ourselves up to present. And you were talking about that unique voice as a songwriter. And I think your songwriting, you can see different shades of your life or, or different things that have happened to you or, or things that have kind of you've meshed together to, to produce songs. I wanted to start with Song for My Mother, which is, uh, I assume for you, quite a, a personal song. Some of your, much of your early work draws from sort of the life and times as a, a growing up and as a teenager. Is that something you'd recognise? Uh, well, you know, Jason, I'm one of those writers who has uh, more or less abided by that uh, writing axiom. Uh, which is relevant to all kinds of writing, which is that it, it, it's, it's probably a good idea, at least starting out, to write about what you know. Uh, so I would say large percentage of my work is very autobiographical, uh, if not about my own life, about the, the lives of friends and family around me. And then I uh, also make ample use of my poetic license, which I always keep in my back pocket in case I'm stopped for uh, excessive alliteration or, or, or punning. And... Uh, uh, that poetic license is just a nice way of saying that uh, that as a, uh, as a songwriter, I get to lie and make things up. Mm. So I combined <laughs> that poetic license and imagination with the the things that I see all around me in the world. And uh, uh, they, they turn into songs. I, I, I often think of what I do as, uh, as writing short stories and then setting them to music. So there is generally some kind of narrative in my writing the songwriters that i i grew up admiring the most had this uh, ability to create very vivid imagery 
in, in their songs. Uh, not just with the words, but with the words wedded to music, uh, almost conjuring up uh, like a cinematic vision, a scene that allowed the listener to sort of transport to that that place and uh, experience what was being relayed and described in the song. And for me, that ability to transport the listener uh, is an important part of uh, of writing a really good song. And so that's something I, I aspired to do starting out. And, and still to this day, I, I try to keep those thoughts in mind when I'm challenged to uh, tell a story uh, and write a song. In the hollow of your arms Snuggled up all safe and warm You used to tell me tales of unicorns and kings But how could I comprehend All the things you told me then Of your madness and your struggling My mind would swim in fantasies like a piece of driftwood on the sea I had no touchstone for reality You were my reality Like a dark and unlit room of the far side of the moon your insanity spoke emptiness and fear No matter how I tried How I questioned and I pried I just could not penetrate that thin veneer And I know you tried to comfort me To soothe and reassure Then your strength would always fail And in its place a silken veil Like a dried and wrinkled prune A deflated toy balloon I came home and found you strewn across the floor And as they lay you on your bed I heard you say, if I am dead How come it just keeps on hurting more and more? And you left me in the early spring All they said was, mommy's resting And how was I to know so young Wasn't something I had done So please try and understand I will love you as I can I do not blame you, you're not guilty but Still there's no way to describe The relief I finally found Upon learning it was you Not me That was crazy One of those stories that many people associate with you is, is Ariel, which was certainly over in the States a, a huge hit and I think you're the first track that you released it is. It was the first uh, single off my first album, and it was a top 20 hit in the States right out of the box. In fact, it got s- so many requests at the New York radio station. The station called my record label complaining that I had all my friends calling in, and that was not the case. <laughs> it just you know, became an instant sensation, and I was proud of that. But uh, in terms of it being autobiographical, I would have to say that almost everything in that song is true, but didn't necessarily 
happened to me. Yeah. And people always ask if there was an Ariel. And, and in truth, when I wrote it, it was sort of a composite of all, all these teenage girls that I had a crush on growing up as a teenager in the suburbs of New Jersey. You know, the, I was always a little self-conscious because nothing much really happens in the song. The plot is pretty thin. It's boy meets girl. They go on a date. They wind up kissing uh, while uh, the national anthem is being broadcast on the TV as it's signing off. And uh, I was a little self-conscious that the plot was so plain and simple until I played the the recording for a couple of teenage girls who lived on my block. And they accused me of reading their diaries. <laughs> And it was at that point that I that I felt, uh, well, you know what? Maybe I've uh, actually uh, written something that people can genuinely re- relate to. Yeah, some, sometimes it's the little details that kind of lift it up, and I think that marks you out as a as different to many songwriters where they just talk wholly in generic terms. Well, it gets back to what I was trying to characterize as painting a picture with words and music uh, to depict a scene. And for me, uh, a successful way of doing that is, I guess you could call it concrete writing or granular writing, which is that if I populate my song with details that, that people can relate to, even if it's not immediately familiar in their own life experience, uh, but those details help create a setting and a place and uh, they 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 help the listener uh, imagine the the story being told. So for me, those details are, are really crucial to to creating that uh, reality. Way on the other side of the Hudson, deep in the bosom of suburbia. Fine tears on my pillow and Ave Maria. Standing by the waterfall in Paramus Park, she was working for the friends of BAI. She was collecting the waters in a paper cup. She was looking for change, and so was I. She was a Jewish girl, I fell in love with her. She wrote a number on the back of my hand. I called her up, I was all out of breath I said, come hear me play in the rock and roll band I took a shower and I put on my best blue jeans I picked her up in my new VW van She wore a peasant blouse with nothing underneath I said, hi, she said, yeah, I guess I am She forgot to tell me that she didn't eat me I had a gig in the American Legion Hall It was a dance for the volunteer ambulance corps She was sitting in a corner against the wall She would smile and I melted all over the floor Spaghetti. We sat and we talked into the night. 
interesting that um when i was looking at a uh, woman of mine uh, that, that, that was actually a uh, your first hit over here in the uk in terms of that song it's it's got a bit, a bit of a, a classic pop rock feel a bit of a, a beatlesque feel it's a bit of an obvious question but with the, with the beatles as well as the singer songwriters kind of an influence oh absolutely you know i grew up in the 60s i got my first transistor radio when i was about nine or ten Bought a guitar, learned four chords, and uh, started playing Beatles songs and the Monkees and uh, Dylan and uh, all, all the stuff that was on the transistor radio. And uh, combined with the influences I had growing up in the house, my mom was a, a, a classically trained singer. So there was always some Broadway show tune or an operetta on the piano. There was always music in the house. And uh, so the, all those influences uh, merged and combined. So uh, a, a song like Woman of Mine I, I certainly would have come from that singer-songwriter tradition. I mean, I wrote that when I was 16. So I, wow. when, I, when I sing it today, I, I, I have a little bit of a, a, a giggle because lyrically, it's not my most sophisticated song. But emotionally, I think it, it hits the mark, which that it, it evokes those feelings that you have when you... Uh, discover your first love and she leaves <laughs> and those are powerful feelings and so the the task at the time was to try and put them in a song and uh, it's still one of the most requested songs that i that i get when i perform live or do an all request zoom event which i do once a month and uh, i still get a kick out of singing it is that the earliest song that you sort of used for your debut album I think so. As a matter of fact, uh, I have to go look through the the track listings again. But I did write that when I was about sixteen, Gosh. and on that Martin D thirty five acoustic guitar that I mentioned earlier, and it was learning the music of folks like James Taylor and Elton John and Randy Newman. Uh, that songwriting idiom, uh, also Joni Mitchell. Uh, and Carol King, and uh, and it, again with all these disparate elements, Broadway show tunes, Roger and Hammerstein, Leonard Bernstein, and it was uh, creating those scenes, the, telling those stories set to music, and uh, it was uh, what my task at the time was to sort of learn from all those influences and then try and discover a voice of my own. I'm gonna shut myself in and not come out again I'm gonna stay there till I rot in my grave And if someone comes a-knocking, I just won't let them in Oh, woman of mine, you picked a mighty fine time To tell me that you're on your way Now that I'm out of my mind, tell me how the hell I'm ever gonna make it through another I'm gonna rob me a bank I'm gonna get myself arrested and go to jail I'll spend the rest of my life in a tank And if someone tries to help me, I'll refuse the bell Oh, 
mind You took a mighty fine time To tell me that you're on your way Now that I'm out of my mind Tell me how the hell I'm ever gonna make it to another day Well, baby, there's just no way In terms of that sort of singer-songwriter feel, you've you've combined uh, with, with shopping bag ladies a real observation for things that are going on. Was that more of a true story than a sort of composite piece? Well, it actually uh, was inspired by an event that occurred to me. Uh, I went to City College of New York, and that very first semester, I was still living home where I grew up in Paramus, New Jersey. And so I had to commute by bus every day to get to college and cross the George Washington Bridge from New Jersey into Manhattan and make my way through the George Washington Bridge bus station, that bus terminal there. And there was, and may still be, a a population of homeless women who pretty much resided in the bus station. And they were very proud, very defiant. They didn't want anyone feeling sorry for them. In fact, if you said anything remotely nice, they would promptly curse at you and, and give you the finger, which is exactly what happened to me. I, I once you know, caught the eye of uh, a homeless woman with her shopping bags and meant to say something nice. And she turned around and just cursed me out. She wasn't having any of it. And I can respect that. She's... <laughs> Got a right to, to not be intruded on and have her own world and not be judged or even pitied. And uh, so that inspired uh, that song, Shopping Bag Ladies. And uh, it always felt sort of a pretty accurate depiction of that experience. And uh, at least in my naive, ignorant eyes, uh, what I saw of the lives around me. Shopping bag ladies, they live in the terminal waiting room Patiently whiling their hours away Desperately keeping the demons at bay Making up lies about times that were good Extolling the virtues of motherhood Staunchly defending the sanity Clutching one last shred of vanity Fixing a kerchief she wears on her head Covered with posies and lilacs and blues and in reds Don't pity me, don't pity me A beautiful bastard boy I'll be just how I am I'll be just how I am Shopping bag ladies, it's not that well known, but they're really in vogue. The latest in fashions, it tastes so true. Sweat socks and sneakers, a sweater or two. And safely behind the wall. 
they have made Secure in their brown paper barricades Worldly possessions will not have to lose Lightweight emotional refuse They rant and they rave, they're mad and they're crazy And that's how they stay free Ladies, it's hard to believe, but once they were children. And uh, another favourite of yours, and I think in the UK, again, an, another a big hit for you, and that, that that's Lydia, which is more of that sort of more traditional ballad approach, but a, a kind of melancholy. When you're constructing a song like that, do you, do you kind of think, I'm, I'm aiming for kind of more of that sort of ballad approach? Well, uh sometimes songs just sort of evolve uh, and it's hard to know from where but again it, it was certainly steeped in that singer-songwriter idiom uh, you know I've always been a huge Elton John fan Bernie Taupin fan uh, musically it, it would have been in that sort of sentimental ballad idiom and the truth is is that uh, people uh, often ask was there a Lydia and in fact, there was, but that wasn't her name. I used her roommate's name to, in, in, a, in a, a, a failed attempt to protect the not-so-innocent. Uh, it was, you know, my wayward youth, uh, young pop star days, uh, behaving not so responsibly. And, and yet, it's been embraced by my listeners. And, uh, you know, I, I always try and connect with those feelings uh, 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 that might have been irresponsible, but we're genuinely sincere <laughs> when I try to sing the song. So it's it's a, yeah, another one of those fan favorites. But yes, inspired by that whole singer-songwriter idiom. Lydia keeps my toothbrush in her apartment And she never complains Well, hardly ever And then jokingly she says so long since I've held you I nearly gave you up for dead I nearly gave you up for dead I nearly gave you up for dead Lydia, Lydia, how come you understand I can offer you nothing at all This is more than I had planned Must be off again 
I suspect that much is true But Liddy, if you only knew just how much I love Another favourite, and it seems to have grown in, in popularity over time, McDonald's Girl. And it, it seems that um, it was stopped from being a hit over here in, in the UK because of the BBC, but it just the song just wouldn't go away over the years and has been covered and been in a McDonald's advert, of course. Well, I'm really proud of that song, uh, and uh, I, I, I see it as the little song that could. Because, as you say, it was officially banned by the BBC for mentioning a commercial trade name. Uh, in their infinite wisdom, they were sure that immediately upon hearing that song, millions of people would rush out to the nearest McDonald's <laughs> and, and order a hamburger. Whereas in, in the lyric, I never actually eat the hamburger. I always thought it could be more of a public service announcement, but uh, they were not persuaded. But uh, And it was frustrating because it, when it was banned, it uh, it, it sort of led to a decision by the label to to drop me from the label and uh, leave me to my own devices. But uh, not too long after that, a then unknown band out of Canada uh, with the unlikely name of, of Bare Naked Ladies <laughs> did a cover version of that, and it became one of their first airplay hits in Toronto and helped uh, launch them uh, into becoming what uh, at one point was the largest uh, touring band in North America. And so that was satisfying that it got acknowledged and uh, was embraced by listeners. And after that, uh, another band called The Blenders had a number one with it in Norway. And then YouTube came along. And to my surprise and delight, uh, McDonald's Girl went viral all over the world. People did cover versions of it and uh, and made homemade videos to to tracks of McDonald's Girl. It, it was It was great fun. It was really nice to see everyone's different interpretations of it. And uh, satisfying that uh, it was a, a song that insisted on being heard. And then finally, as you rightly say, uh, and we're talking 30 plus years after it was released, mm. I finally did get a call from corporate headquarters of McDonald's asking if I could license uh, the track for a national TV and radio campaign. Uh, at which point I said, uh, that's great. Uh, what took you so fucking long? <laughs> and uh, but that's now my uh, new plan is to write a great pop song mm. and just sit on my ass for thirty years waiting for uh, someone to recognize yeah. its value <laughs> and then license it. Uh, we'll see. I'll let you know how that works out. Simple tongue. She's not afraid to 
to your tracks there's so many different styles to your songwriting i don't know how well known it is but um it really holds its own with your some of the, the bigger hits of yours and, and that's the, the lakelands was that song uh, written while you were over here in the uk because is it about cumbria and that area it absolutely is and and uh, i was on a tour early on it was might have been my first tour in the UK. And for some reason, the agent neglected to book me over a weekend. And I was in the Lake District. And so they sort of left me to my own devices for a whole weekend uh, in, uh, by Lake Windermere in the Lake District. And, uh, you know, nothing to do but walk around and i i did just that and it it, it inspired a song now you you say i i am pleased that you say that it, it stands up well to my more successful hits but in in point of fact and this may come as a surprise to some of your listeners in point of fact the lakelands is one of my biggest selling records oh wow except nobody knows that uh it was included on a compilation album uh, that first came out in Ireland, uh, an album called Green Velvet, uh, which was a compilation album consisting of classic uh, Irish mm. folk songs, uh, like Danny Boy when she was Sweet Sixteen. And uh, the, the guy, Mc, McDonough, who was putting that compilation album together, had one room for one more track, and he heard the Lakelands and said, boy, that will fit perfectly uh, if we could license it. And I said, sure, go ahead. So uh, it became a best-selling album in ireland and you know a whole generation of kids grew up listening to it on their parents record players uh all these classic traditional irish folk songs and the lakelands by this jewish kid from new jersey <laughs> so it's always fun for me when i perform it to see kind of recognition on people's faces and and it dawns on them that it's a song i wrote Precipice where the hill spirits dwell. 
That's where we first kissed under some ancient spell And where I said farewell Oh, Sarah, send me back Send me back to the lakelands Pack up my gig and my gunny sack I've made some new plans If my love will take me back I'd like one more chance Off to Cumbria on holiday You came to walk the fells And I showed you the way And off the wooded path Please stole me away Oh Sarah, send me back Send me back to the lakelands Pack up my gig and my gunny sack I've made some new plans If my love will take me back I'd like one more It's amazing that you you're a reference point for people in the media or other songwriters and that the um, half man half biscuit band kind of referenced you in a song and then you've done your own sort of response to that with a baker's tale indeed <laughs> <laughs> well it started a while back i, I got a, an urgent phone call from uh, a good friend andy in london uh, he said, Dean, something's going on here you need to know about. I said, what's that? And he goes, well, there's a band outside of Liverpool uh, named Half Man, Half Biscuit. And I said, well, that's a funny name for a band. He says, well, that's not the funny part, Dean. I said, okay, what's the funny part? And he goes on to say, well, they have a best-selling EP, and there's a track on it that's titled The Bastard Son of Dean Friedman. Uh, now, I, as would most people, I figured he's just pulling my leg. It, that seemed too ludicrous to take seriously until I landed at Heathrow Airport to start another tour. And he met me there with the EP in hand. And sure enough, there was the track, the title, The Bastard Son of Dean Friedman. <laughs> at which point I confessed to getting a little concerned. I mean, after all, I'm Dean Friedman. <laughs> but I, after doing the math, I, I, I was much relieved because I calculated in order, order for me to have fathered this guy, Nigel Blackwell, the lead singer-songwriter for Half Man, Half Biscuit. 
in order for me to have uh, fathered him, uh, I would have to have done so when I was seven years old. Now, granted, I was a precocious child, but not that precocious. So, uh, greatly relieved. I listened to the track. It's it's a great track. I hope you can play it during th- this podcast. Yeah. If not, uh, I urge your listeners to check it out. Uh, it's a terrific song. But even then, when, when after hearing uh, Nigel Blackwell's work, I, I as much as I was delighted by it, because uh, uh, he's a great songwriter, half man, half biscuit, or a kicking band. Uh, but even then, I, I swore that one day I would exact my revenge. And, and that's indeed what I did uh, uh, on my song, A Baker's Tale, which tells the, the hitherto untold story of the dubious origins of one Nigel Blackwell. And uh, it's gotten a, a, a very warm reception, <laughs> well-received, even by Nigel Blackwell and Half Man, Half Biscuit fans. Uh, in fact, I, I, I played the song once at a gig they did at, at, the, at Robin 2. Uh, it, it was uh, a lot of fun. I was a little nervous at first, but uh, by the second chorus, all everyone in the audience was singing along. And uh, uh, at the end of the show, I joined Half Man Half Biscuit on stage for a rousing rendition of The Bastard Son of Dean Friedman, uh, which is an evening I will never forget. That's great. Well, let's play um, Half Man Half Biscuit, The Bastard Son of Dean Friedman, followed by, of course, A Baker's Tale. <laughs> She wasn't going to die By the way, we got news for you And they told me that the man I had always known was dad Hadn't met my mum when I was born And they reckon that I am But I hope to God I'm not The bastard son of Dean Friedman The bastard son of Dean Friedman With the sadness in my eyes Even though he showed me his magritte And in the corridors of fear I would shed a lonely tear A ridicule flew at me from both sides And they mocked me in my mocks And embroidered in my socks The bastard son of Dean Friedman The bastard son of Dean Friedman Just any tart, but one of substance and of virtue. But suitable candidates were oh so few. Nigel Blackwell, babe, please do tell. How could your parents risk it? Make a son born of a bun, half a man, half a biscuit. He gently took her from the oven. The sweet scent set off waves of loving. 
His eyes beheld her flaky crust He thought I mustn't But I must Last Nigel's dad could not resist her He held her close and then he kissed her Before another word was uttered His mama's buns were buttered Oh Nigel Blackwell, pray please do tell How could your parents risk it Make your son born of a bun Half a man, half a biscuit So please mark this poignant tale Next time you see baked goods for sale Which proves true love defies convention Leads to couplings we can't mention So it comes as no surprise The needy baker's dough did rise Though some may scoff to ride and scorn From such forbidden love Nigel was born Nigel Blackwell, pray please do tell How could your parents risk it Make a son born of a bun Half a man, half a man Half a man, half a biscuit And we're here in terms of our final track and I think it'd be it's good to kind of play something from, from your most recent album, 12 Songs, you know, you've mentioned the Lakelands earlier, which has got that sort of Celtic Irish feel. The song uh, "The Ducks of St Stephen's Green" for me definitely has that that Celtic Irish feel. In a similar way to Lakelands, was that inspired by a, a, a trip in this time at Dublin, or was it just that you heard the story? Well, uh, both, because I have toured so many times uh, in Ireland, and have always loved the audiences they, they seem to have a, a very special appreciation especially for lyric and uh, songwriters and any country I, I don't know what the tax situation is today but i know there was at a time where the music songwriting royalties were exempt from taxation wow. and so that was brilliant as far as i'm concerned uh but in any case uh, i uh always uh, felt warmly embraced in touring there and it was uh about well it was uh in i guess 2016 that i noticed a lot of friends and and fans from ireland were posting messages about the 100th anniversary of the easter rising mm. and uh as an american you know our sense of history goes back maybe 10 20 years that's it and so i just out of curiosity, tried to educate myself about what the Easter Rising was, uh, which was a, a, at the time in 1916, a failed uprising in Ireland. And in the process of reading it, stumbled upon a, what, what apparently is a true story that took place in Dublin uh, in a lovely little park called St. Stephen's Green, where uh, as the Irish Citizens Army were trying to get the British out of the park and not doing a, a, a great job of it, uh, in the middle of all the fighting and shooting, uh, a gamekeeper named Kearney uh, a white flag and, and, and beseeched both sides to stop fighting long enough for him to feed his ducks. He didn't care about who's fighting who. He just wanted to take care of his ducks. <laughs> and to his great shock and uh, surprise, they did agree. And so once a day, every afternoon, uh, the gamekeeper would walk into the park and uh, they would put down their weapons, stop killing each other briefly uh, while he fed his ducks. Anyway, it was a story that really, it, it struck a chord. It really touched me, if only to suggest that even in the midst of, you know, inane warfare and killing and fighting, that uh, mm. that people still have a hint uh, of decency and, and a desire to protect the innocent, even if they're covered with feathers and are just ducks. And uh, so it inspired me to write that song. And uh, I, I view it as sort of a hopeful, optimistic view of uh, human uh, nature and uh, our, our, our uh, ability to, to find ways on, on rare occasions to get along. That's brilliant. Uh, thanks so much uh, for your time, Dean. Uh, just a, a final mention uh, that Songfest uh, via Zoom is um, 
will be uh, held on uh, Sunday the 30th of August. Details at deanfreeman.com. And then just before we go, what's the plan for the next uh, six months while we um, get through this sort of strange period? Is it just more virtual things and, and preparations for hopefully a tour next year, I assume? That is the plan. I've rescheduled all my 2020 dates for 2021, and hopefully uh, this craziness will resolve itself by then. In the meantime, uh, I've been doing uh, a weekly uh, 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 webcast called Dean Zine Livestream, and uh, I've got one coming up uh, uh, this Sunday, and then following that is, as you say, the uh, virtual Songfest Zoom Fest. And uh, that's on the 30th. And then uh, September and October, November, I'm going to be doing one all-request concert a month and on hiatus for my weekly show. And the reason for that is that I'm going to dig down deep and uh, concentrate and focus all my time and energy on uh, doing a new album. I got a lot of new songs, and uh, I'm really anxious to to get back into the studio. Now, even though I'm in the studio right now, uh, it needs to be totally reconfigured to uh, produce an album uh, as opposed to the, the the webcasts that I've been doing. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, I invite your listeners to visit my website, join my email list. Uh, also friend me on uh, Facebook and, uh, and like on Twitter and all those other social media places. You'll find me somewhere. Uh, but mainly uh, get on my email list because uh, that's the best way to stay in touch. And uh I'll let you know when the new album's ready and comes out, and hopefully we'll chat again. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, just a, a quick thing on the album. You, you're very well known for your fans sort of funding your records rather than sort of relying on labels. Is it is it the same model for the next one, do you think? It is indeed. Uh, and you can, if, if you have any interest in supporting the indie efforts of uh, this singer-songwriter, uh, you can find a link uh, on the homepage of my website uh, which is uh, to help crowdfund uh, Dean's next album that's how I've been uh, financing the recordings of all my albums for the last couple of decades Uh, I did the first one in 2001 right after Marillion they were the first to do it I I believe I was the second Uh, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's satisfying uh, being able to uh, get support directly from the listening audience that the music is intended for fantastic well let's play the ducks of st stephen's green and just uh how much of a pleasure it is to have a window into your songwriting journey and some uh, brilliant insights into some of these remarkable songs um thank you dean pleasure jason good talking to you and catch you down the line let me tell you a story of bravery and glory tale that's both true and surprising about a muddle in the middle of a puddle in Dublin In the week of the Easter Rising In the week of the Easter Rising It was 1916 in St. Stephen's Green When the Irish Citizens' Army Was defending the square from the British troops there the fighting grew savage and stormy The fighting grew savage and stormy Well, the bullets were flying And soldiers were dying When a gamekeeper name of James Kearney Said, I'd rather retreat But my ducks have to eat They've no knowledge of freedom or tyranny They've no knowledge of freedom or tyranny Then he took a bold stand A white flag in his hand Hold your fire, he shouted and pled Then to his surprise Both sides heeded his cries As his ducks waddled over to get fed As his ducks waddled over to get fed there were mallards and muscadies, cresteds and blues. There were harlequins, pintails and widgeons. There were wingnets and beacons and buffleheads too. And a handful of seagulls and pigeons. 
is a handful of seagulls and pigeons. And then each afternoon, every squad and platoon held their fire and laid down their arms. As the gamekeeper tended his ducklings and ducks, not a feather on their heads did they harm. Not a feather on their heads did they harm. So step left, step right, my fine feathered friends Let your webbed feet guide you But make haste as you waddle and flap As you paddle and quack There's a war being waged beside you There's a war being waged beside you Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.